So this is going to be called the Godly Family. I've been speaking on this for years, and uh, I know what you're going to say, because you know me quite well. When you're done, you're going to say, you hypocrite. But uh, I'm not looking for anybody here to be perfect. I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I am saying that the, God, the Bible gives us a standard of what we should do in training our children. And that standard is what we should shoot for. I have not been successful in you know, always doing what I know is right. I've tried. Um, there have been areas that I have failed. I'll share a couple of those as you know, I get going. Um, but again, I just want to throw that out there. And I don't want any of you guys to beat yourself up and, and have those same kind of, oh man, we screwed up, or, or even those, you know, oh, he thinks he's holier than thou kind of attitude. I'm not. Okay, my kids have screwed up just like your kids are going to screw up. Um, I've messed up just like you're going to mess up. It's kind of part of it, and, and we learn grace throughout all of that. But I know that the Bible does give us a standard of what our goals should be. Now, a couple of things that I found fascinating. A few years back, Ken Ham at Answers in Genesis, they wrote a book called Already Gone. Now, in this book, what they had done is they hired, I think it was Barna, to go and research uh, why kids were leaving the church, why they were you know, no longer attending. And it was pretty fascinating because they had attended, they, they polled um, kids that had come not from liberal backgrounds. It wasn't like you're, you know, polling the Catholic Church or the Methodist Church. You were polling people that were coming from Bible-believing churches. And it was fascinating because here's what happens. I'm not going to show you all of the statistics, but some of them here you can see. They asked the question, do you believe that evolution is the origin of human beings? What percent agree? Now, the SS are Sunday school. People who went to Sunday school, okay, their whole life. Had they not gone to Sunday school, notice that it was 24.6% for Sunday school goers and 18.5% for non-Sunday school goers. Like, wait a minute, that's got to be a fluke, right? Across the board, like I said, I, I could give you 20 different of these every single one of them but just to give you a few is premarital sex okay sunday school goers 59.2 non-sunday school goers 53.3 good people don't need to go to church do you agree 39.3 percent of sunday school goers 28.9 percent of non-sunday school goers church is irrelevant 46 to 39 percent across the board like I said, I could go on and on. So why is the question. Statistics don't always give you that answer as to the why. Well, I think I have an idea of why. And probably because I experienced it a little bit myself. I grew up in a Christian home, very conservative home. I was taught what was right, what was wrong. I, my mom and dad did not swear. They did not drink. They did not smoke. They did not you know, carouse and go out and party, none of that. I didn't, I didn't know any of those kinds of things. They didn't believe in evolution. 
But what happened is I knew all those things and I went to college at Minot State University my very first year, my freshman year, and I was challenged in my anthropology class. I was taught things that I had never heard before. Not at home, not in the church. And then all of a sudden I began to question, I thought, my goodness, why didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't know any of this. My parents clearly didn't know any of this. My church clearly didn't know any of this because they didn't tell me about it. If the church had answers, they would have warned me. They would have prepared me. So the church must not have answers. These guys know more than my parents. These guys know more than my, you know, Sunday school teacher who was 108 years old. <laughs> okay? Literally. Okay? So it... it it challenged us, like it got me thinking. And I think that's what happens is, I think because the church has dropped the ball. Now when I say church, let me define that. I'm not picking on one single denomination. I'm not picking on you know, our local. I'm talking about nationwide churches have dropped the ball on giving our kids answers to real life questions. Things like, do aliens exist? Did dinosaurs live with people? Is homosexuality right or wrong? Why is it wrong? And so on. We're going to address some of those issues here in a little bit. And so I think they probably had the same thing that I did. If the church had answers, they would have told me, but they didn't. These guys know more than they do. And so that is why I think it's very important that we be real with our kids. For years... We'd have people come, you know, uh, youth Bible study, high school Bible study, up here, even before this had carpet and, and whatnot. I remember we had, and some of you guys would come to that, you know, and we'd have 30, 40 kids here. And I think it amazed some people that kids came, because first of all, I'm, I'm nothing to speak of. And we didn't have games, we didn't have blow-ups and, you know, all of those kind of things. We just taught the Bible and we talked about real life issues. And I think that there was a, a hunger to talk and get real. So that not every answer was, Jesus. Right? <laughs> and I think that we need to, to be aware of that. And so we're going to discuss some of those things as we go through this presentation here on the godly family. So let's pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time and we just... Thank you that you are a God of love, mercy, and grace, and that though we fail constantly as parents, and even as children obeying our parents, that uh, you are there for us to not only offer the forgiveness, but to empower us to get back up and try it again, to be able to do what you have asked us to do. And so... I just pray that you would give us discernment, understanding, wisdom as we go through and listen to this and that you also just keep us from being offended, Lord, that we would really examine ourselves and say, how can we improve? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, what is the perfect family? Well, it typically goes something like this. The parents are going to birth the kids. And then after parents birth the kids, you're going to see that the preschool is going, well, actually probably daycare is going to teach them to socialize first, 
Preschool is then going to kind of build on that, maybe even get them started on their ABCs and one, two, threes. The elementary school is going to teach them to read. Then junior high is going to be preparing them for their athletics, uh, although that's kind of lowered now. But it, when I grew up, that's what it was. Athletics didn't start till junior high. Okay, I'm going to step on toes right out of the box. I don't even think your kids probably, this is, this is Brian. I can't give you this in the Bible. This is Brian's opinion. I don't think you should start kids until they get into junior high. Okay? I see people running all over the place, running like crazy. For what? For what purpose? And not only that, but you say, well, if you don't got them you know, early started, then they're not going to make it. Chances are they won't make it anyway. Okay? And is that your goal in life? We'll talk more about that later. What is your goal? Because you see those sports then, we expect the sports, that's where it's going to build character for your kids and learn discipline, all those good things that sports do. Okay, I think most of you here have heard me talk about this where Bodie Bauckham, he used to say, you know, sports, how many of you believe sports builds character? And every time I go and ask that question, I get all kinds of hands that go up. Yeah, sports helps build character. And I say, I'm going to unbrainwash you because you've been brainwashed. If you believe sports builds character, you've been brainwashed because here is the proof of it. Here it goes. If sports builds character, the NFL and the NBA would be the most character-filled people in the country. They're not. They're characters. And so what we see is that if there are athletes who have character, typically they are Christian athletes. Now that does fit in line with what God's Word says, which is God's Word is what builds character. Now, let me say, I am not against sports. It's okay to do that. Enjoy sports, play them, but don't believe the lie that that's what builds character. And if your kids know more about their favorite sports team than they know about the Bible, maybe something's out of balance. And maybe that's why you're not seeing the character that you desire in your children. Because God's Word has to be at the very center of it. Well, we see then that high school is going to, uh, you know, prepare them for college. College is going to prepare them for their uh, careers. Career is going to prepare them for, you know, uh, retirement. And the government all along this is going to be, you know, helping, of course, with all of this. The problem is, what's wrong with this picture of the perfect family? Where are we? You see, we're always relying on somebody else to take care of our family, to take care of our children. Even the church, by the way, along all sides of that, is the one that's supposed to teach them about God. You even rely on the church to do what they're not doing. And I'm sorry, most youth groups, not, I'm not saying you shouldn't have them, but most youth groups, it's 95% fun, 5% spiritual, and that spirituality doesn't get more than toe-deep. Not saying every church, but typically that's what youth groups have become. I see it all across the country. And so we are the ones that God has said, you as parents are to train up your children in the way they should go, so that when they are old they will not depart from it. And as long as you're relying on someone else to do it, not only will it probably not get done, but what does get done is not going to look like what you want it to look like. 
You see, the first family we see in Genesis. I want to get another foundational point here. You as a mom and a dad, well, a husband and a wife, were a family before kids came along. The first family began right there in the Garden of Eden when God said, the two shall become one flesh. You see, God's math and our math is a little different. Today we've got this weird idea that you take a man, you take a woman, the two become, well, two. God's math is they become one. You need to talk to your kids about that. We've got kids out there in, in junior high, high school, they're sleeping around, they're, they're having uh, sexual relations and getting pregnant when they're 12 and 15 years old. Because we're not teaching them God's word and, and what a marriage is all about. And so the two, they just think, that's fine, I can go sleep with someone, it's still me. I haven't changed any. That's not what the Bible says. You sleep with somebody, you become one. What does that mean then if you get a divorce? You got two people, you get married, you're one. Now you get a divorce, you tear them apart, what do you become? You just go back to being one again? No, you're never ever going to be the same. There is a division. He's, even Jesus said, what God has joined together, let not man tear apart. Right? He says, I hate divorce. Now, I understand there are legitimate reasons for divorce out there. The Bible has given some uh, permissible circumstances. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about, I just can't live with this guy anymore. I can't live with this woman anymore. We're going to talk more about that as we go. But for now, I want you to understand, God had set a standard right there in the beginning to define what a marriage is supposed to be. And if you teach your children what that standard is, there's no argument whether you know, Adam and Steve can get married because it was Adam and Eve. Right there at the beginning, the standard of what a marriage is supposed to be, one man, one woman, was laid out, and there's no argument about it anymore. Malachi 2.15 also gives us a little extra tidbit here. He says, why did I make them one? Why did God do it this way? He says, because I was seeking godly offspring. Why one? Because of that. So, one of, not the only, but one of the primary reasons for a marriage is children. Isn't that interesting? You know, today we live in a society that is very anti-children. We live in many churches that are anti-children. And yet the Bible says that's one of the primary reasons you should be getting married, is to have godly children. But we see all of this, th people say, oh, you, uh, no, that's irresponsible. You have more than two kids. The world is overpopulated. That's irresponsible. No, it isn't. First of all, that's a lie, something that they learned in public school. The lie that the world is overpopulated. There's about 8 billion people on the earth right now, and there's like 21 billion or 24 billion square feet in Pensacola, Florida. That means the entire world's population could fit in the one city of Florida. The world's population. So, yeah, granted, I don't want to live there in, you know, one city. But, you know, you can move out to the other parts of Florida, too. And then you could move outside of Florida. Then you could move outside of the United States. 
Then, you know, you could, there, there's other continents. It is an absolute lie that the world is overpopulated. Absolute lie. God said, be fruitful and multiply, but our secular education has taught many people to think it's irresponsible for us to have more than one or, one or two children. China. Do you know that by 2050, China is going to lose about a quarter of its population? Simply by default because of their one-child policy. The United States is already, uh, we are beyond the breaking point too. We're going to lose out by default because Christians have not followed the biblical command that we should be fruitful and multiply. You know who's growing though? The ones that are growing in population? Muslims. Okay, I, I've got a little video that I do on my Islam and Antichrist thing showing you this very thing. They're the ones that are growing. So overpopulation is not it, but so many people, this is what they want. They, they want to make sure that before, oh, we just got married, before we have kids, we want to make sure that we can go see the Grand Canyon first. We want to get this vacation in. Or, or we've got to get this, you know, I want to get my doctorate and I want to get this education. Or I want to build this new home and get it nice and perfect first. All these reasons that we put children on the back burner rather than saying, wait a minute, God said this is one of the primary reasons for a family. So, don't believe that lie. Another issue is who trains the children in most homes, moms or dads? Yeah, I'm speaking to a good crowd here. Yeah. Moms or dads? Moms. What does the Bible say who should be training the children? Dads. Now, this does not mean moms can't do training. What it means is the fathers were to be the spiritual head, and it's the fathers that are supposed to be making sure that those children are getting a religious education, are getting discipline, are getting uh, you know, respect taught to them, and that the young boys are learning respect for the younger, their siblings and, and women. Okay, men are supposed to be the ones training and leading in a family. But most times, it's moms. We need to have a different attitude. Fathers, I know it's hard, but we got to wake up. We, we need to do the training and making sure that the household is being run the way it is. We often hear, well, that's, that's my wife's domain. No, it's not. It's your domain. You've heard me talk about Adam and Eve. Eve is the one that screwed up and ate the fruit. Adam got the blame for it. Because he was held responsible as head of the house. So this is a serious thing. We'll talk a little bit more as we go on this one as well. You see, we always, uh, we did something radical in our home. We actually ate together as a family. Yeah, we, we, would sit down and, and do devotions. Okay? In all those years, I never learned to be a good guitar player. They just put up with me. Most of them put up with me. Right? Because at the end, we would do devotions. We would sing. We would, we would do those kinds of things. Read from the Bible. And let me tell you, there were many times that I was told, this is boring. And I said, I don't care. It's God's Word. There's a power in it. We're going to read from the Bible. Sometimes we had other things that were a little bit more interesting for children, but sometimes I did nothing. 
I would say probably most often, I just read a chapter of Scripture, wasn't it? Not only that, not only do we eat together as a family, we pray together as a family. We worship together as a family. Devotions together as a family. But you see, you also have to remember this, that you should be doing this as a husband and a wife together as well, not just with your kids, because you guys need more than just that. Husbands, are you making sure that you are going to be able to present your wife to the Lord, to cleanse her with water and the Word, as it says in Ephesians, to make her holy by washing her with water and the Word? That's what it says husband's goal or role is in Ephesians. Love your wives. We'll talk a little bit more about that as well, but for now I want you to understand that that's also important, that as a married couple... You guys, that's how you get built up. That's how you get strengthened to be able to do the exhausting job of raising children. You need that. You know, Ephesians 6, 4 also says this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We're going to come back to that word training, but I just want you to see the Bible is very clear, even in the New Testament, that it is the responsibility of the father to do this. Psalm 78 says this, and I encourage you to go back and read this because this is one of the most sad psalms in the Bible. And you go, what? Well, you'll see here. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children, so the next generation would know them. Even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, whose hearts were not loyal to him, to God. Notice that hearts not loyal. Okay, whose spirits were not faithful to him. Here it says, fathers, you guys are supposed to train up your children in the way they should go because your children are going to grow up and have children. And they're going to train their children. You know how they're going to train them? Probably in the good things that you did and hopefully in the bad things you did not do those things, right? But if you teach them about the Lord, then those are the good things they're going to teach their children, and then those children are going to grow up and affect their children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and your great-great-grandchildren on down the road, and you're going to affect thousands of generations. You go, well, why is that so sad? Well, because of two verses later, verse 11 here, 3, it says this, they forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. One generation is all it takes to produce a godless society. One generation of fathers saying, oh, I don't have enough time, too much work, too busy running around our kids playing sports, don't have time to really dive into God's Word and take you know, time to celebrate biblical things because the world has already taken our time. So, you can look at uh, Captain Cook. He founded Australia. And when he went over there, he saw the Aborigines and he saw a, a godless, primitive society. Now, he was half right. They were godless, not primitive, just different. 
But somewhere in the aboriginal line, the fathers neglected to teach their children about God. And they became an absolute godless society. Why? Because, listen, they all came from Noah. They all knew God at some point, but somewhere in that line, fathers got lazy. Joshua 4, 5. Look at this. When they're crossing into the promised land, this is a momentous occasion. I mean, this is huge. They've been out in the wilderness for 40 years. They're about to get into the promised land. That's like us about to get to go to heaven. And this is what it says in Joshua 4, 5. Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. And each of you is to take upon a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites. So of all the great, grand, you know, momentous things that you could do, he says, I want 12 of you to pick up a stone. Carry it on your shoulder. Set it up on the end. You go, why? What's the point? He says this in verse 21. He said to the Israelites in the future, when your children or your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. He was saying, these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. God was giving them an excuse to say, listen, I don't want you to forget about what I've done for you. Put a memorial up so that you don't forget. So that you're not going to, in one generation, lose what I have taught you, what I've shown you. Now let me tell you, we've got stone memorials all around us. You go to the Grand Canyon, what do you do? Take your kids up there and go, oh, isn't that awesome? You know, I don't know what it is about high places and men, but we've got to spit. Okay, you go to the zoo and you see animals eating meat. What do you just say? Oh, gross, ew. Or do we take these as opportunities to teach our children about God? In everything that you do, there should be an opportunity to teach your children about godly things. Okay, when you see the Grand Canyon, you should be teaching your kids, do you know how this formed? Probably as a result of Noah's flood. Right after Noah's flood, there was a huge dam that was built, or, or, or waters. You know, after you have a rain, you have mud puddles. After you have a, a huge worldwide flood, you have big mud puddles called lakes. And even the secular world teaches us that there was a lake the size of many states behind the Grand Canyon. And that the dam broke and all those waters rushed through, carving out not only the Grand Canyon, but you can follow the line all the way going through the Columbia River down into the ocean. It's all there. This is evidence of Noah's flood. And when you see those animals eating meat, you say, did you know that we didn't always eat meat? But we were created as vegetarians. And then when Noah gets off the ark, he says, now I give you permission to eat meat. So use these stone memorials. When you see the mountains, don't just go, wow, wouldn't that be fun to climb? Tell them, how do you think those mountains got there? Noah's flood, did you know that the world before Noah's flood, the mountains weren't as high as they are today, and then the continent split during the flood? It even talks about it in Genesis chapter 1, okay, that the earth was different, and it says then that when the fountains of the great deep break open, 
later on in Genesis 7, it says the fountains of the great deep broke open and you have plate tectonics taking place. Those mountains ran into each other, rising up. And in Psalms, it even tells us the mountains were raised and the valleys were lowered. You may be saying, well, I didn't know any of this stuff. Well, then I guess, fathers, you need to get busy. If you don't know how to put the word of God into the world around you, you need to get busy. Maybe you need to put down that gun. Put down your archery bow, put down your golf club, put down your remote control, whatever it is so that you study the Word of God so that you have these answers to give to your children. Judges, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. We see Joshua took them into the promised land. He told them about the stone memorial. They remembered it. Look at this. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who had outlived him, who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, a servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. So everything was good. But look at this as it continues two verses later. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. How long did it take to produce a godless society? One generation. Guys, how long has it taken in America to become godless? Really, one generation. One generation of us not standing up against evil. One generation not teaching our children the Word of God, memorizing Scripture. I remember as a teacher, we'd make our kids, I would make the whole class memorize a book of the Bible. You know who the biggest problem was? Parents. Before I did it, before school started, I went and I said, hey, this is what we're going to do. And they're like, oh, no, no, my kid can't do that. My, no, you don't know. He can't do I said, just, just trust me. Can you just, just give me at least a quarter of your support? Like a quarter of the year. <laughs> okay? I said, all we're going to do is they're going to memorize four verses. Every week they will have a memory verse that will be three or four verses long. Regardless whether we do the whole book or we do memory. They're going to have that every week. So if they do their memory that week, they already know it. Pretty simple. All you're going to do is then add on to that the next week. It's not a big deal because they already know the first four. We're just not going to let them forget it. Let me tell you, you guys can have your children memorize the scriptures. The Jews did it. By the time they were 12 years old, they knew the first five books of the Bible, forward and backward, they knew it in and out in, in, a, in a Jewish school. They can do it. You have to have a higher standard. We, we, we believe this lie that kids can't memorize. They're not, they can't do these things. Uh, listen, I'm an idiot. And I've memorized the book of Romans. I, I've memorized like the first five or six verse, uh, chapters of John, as well as other stuff. If I can do it, not only can you do it, but your kids can. And let me tell you something. It's gotten a lot harder the older I get. Right now, your kids, you, you kids are amazing. You're smart. Your brains can do much more than ours can. 
You're, you're like sponges. You'll take it in. The only thing is, is when I would teach the Word, and they memorized four verses, they could do it. I'd see kids come to school. Did you have your memory verse? Oh, yeah. They'd pop it open. Ten minutes, five minutes, they'd have it ready, and they could come up and give it flawlessly to me. But then tomorrow, it was gone. Go over it and go over it. We'll talk about that coming up. Another thing I want you to understand, moms, you need to be supportive of your husbands. Yeah. You know, the problem is, is many moms don't want dads to be the spiritual head. Many moms don't want him to be involved because they want to do it their way. Do you know that part of the curse in Genesis was that the woman was going to have a desire to have control of the man? When I ask people all the time, what was the curse in the Garden of Eden? They all raise their hands and say, oh, 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 pain in childbearing. Yeah, you got that one, but there's more. And your desire will be to control your husband. What? It doesn't say that. It says, and your desire will be for your husband. That word for in Hebrew is literally tzolka. Tzolka means to control, and in context, it fits so much better here. Your desire is going to be for your husband. If that's a curse, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, that would not be a curse. But in context, now we say your desire will be to control your husband, but then it goes on, but he will rule over you. Part of the curse is this. The woman is going to want to have control, and the man is going to want to be controlling. That's the curse. Now, we'll get to the men in a minute, but for now, I want you to understand women... That's very important because you have to be able to be willing to say, I'm going to listen to what my husband says. He is the head of the house. God has set this standard. You see, 1 Peter 2 verse 24 says of Jesus, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And then it goes on. And it says, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by behavior of their wives. Wives are to be submissive. That word, that's almost like swearing in church. To tell a woman that they're supposed to be submissive, that's one probably test to see if you're in a good church. If a pastor has the guts to say that from the pulpit. Yeah, because you see, we don't want women don't want that. That's a, that's a bad word. But it's what scripture says over and over again. You know what I find fascinating is it constantly tells women to be submissive to their husbands. Never once does it say that about men obviously, but you know what it always tells men to do? Love your wives. Husbands in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, 
doesn't really tell. I think there's only one time that it tells wives to love their husbands. Comes naturally for women. Doesn't come naturally for men. So the Bible's constantly telling, love your wives, men. Love them. Love them. Love them. Doesn't come natural. Just like it doesn't come natural for the woman to be submissive. So it says submit, submit, submit. You know, this is so important because we're told that, I've heard as high as 70%, but 50% is thrown around there most, most often. 50% of marriages end up in divorce. And by the way, that statistic is no different in the church than it is in the world. Why? Well, because most people in the church follow the standards of a marriage that the world has taught us. The secular world, in the, in the, it, it's no different. We're not submitting to uh, you know, your, your uh, husbands. Society has told you, oh, no, don't know. As a matter of fact, if you try to tell another woman that you're submissive to your husband, they probably look down on you. Because the devil has taught that, you know, we're going to rob you of that blessing, women. We don't want you to be blessed in your marriage. We don't want you to be blessed as a woman, as a mother. So we're going to teach you that, you know, hear, hear, hear me roar. I am a woman. And, and that this working in the, the house, it, it, you can do better than that. The devil, that's a message of the devil because he wants to keep you from being blessed. And yet the, or the devil's out there saying, no, you want blessings, you've got to get outside of the home. Get away from that, that oppressive husband of yours. So men, same thing though. You know, I remember I'd work in my brother's sporting goods store. There would be guys coming into that sporting goods store every single morning to drink coffee, and all I'd hear is, yeah, the old ball and chain, and blah, 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 speaking evil of, of their wives. <clears throat> jokes about their wives, speaking ungodly things about women, disrespectful towards women. I grew up in the public school locker room hearing disrespect towards women, thinking that was just normal. That's just what guys do. No, that's not what the Bible says to do. You see, the devil wants to rob you of the blessings of treating women with respect and love. You know, come to think of it, you know, the, the divorce rate's about the same, but maybe that's because we're following, as I said, the secular roles. But maybe that if, we, if a husband would actually love their wives the way the Bible says to love their wives, that wife wouldn't have a problem being submissive. Maybe if women were submissive, the husbands wouldn't have a problem loving their wives. Maybe if we were both submissive to the roles that God has ordained in a marriage, maybe those marriages would work. Yeah. Maybe we ought to try that. There is a problem, though. There is no way you men can love your doggone unsubmissive wives. Constantly taking control and nagging on you and being a dripping faucet constantly. And by the way, women, there's no way you can love these jerks that are constantly losing their temper or throwing their power around and, and you know, just being lazy and, and not helping out in the house. I mean, how can you submit to that? 
You see, the problem is, guys, you don't have the power. Neither one of us have the power to do what God has asked us to do. So, rewind. <laughs> you need to have family devotions with your spouse. Because the power of the Word of God is what gives you the power to love jerks like us. The power of the Word of God is what's going to allow you to submit. And if we are in the Word together, praying together, that's where you're going to find the power to do the roles that God has ordained. You see, our society has taught us that there are roles that are equal. That is not what God's Word says. Men and women are different. Period. Now, it's not a matter of equality. Because I tell people, I use the example all the time, horse and a cow, which one's better? I don't know. If you want milk for the cereal, I would take the cow. If you want to ride into town, the horse is a better choice. See, one isn't better than the other, but God created them with different roles. Likewise, a man and a woman, neither one is better than the other, but you do have different roles. And I'm sorry... It's what God's Word says. Men cannot replace a woman. Or be one, by the way. I have seen Mr. Moms. Doesn't work. Does not work. I'm not saying that the men weren't capable. They, well, no, they aren't capable. They're not created that way. I don't know what it is. I can't tell. I just know it's different. When I was sick, I want mom. I love my dad. Okay? There is nothing that can replace a mother. I think it is the most important job, the most important role in the world, and probably the hardest. I know that if my wife was ever sick and I had to take care of those kids, oh, man. Go make me dig a hole outside. I don't care if it's got to be a 10-foot hole, 10 feet wide. I'll go dig it. It's hard. And you should respect that. Love them for doing that. And I'll tell you something. There's not a woman that can replace what a man can do either. Sorry, it just can't happen. You weren't created that way. You get the point. We're told that we fall in love today. Another bag of garbage right there. You don't fall in love. You choose to love the way God asks us to love. Maybe some of you are offended by what I'm saying here. I don't know. My point is, is that we are far too anti-family and anti-biblical. You see, we don't fall in love. We choose to love the way God has told us to love. Okay, we watch far too much garbage on television. Even the, you know, these little Harlequin romance, I don't even know if that's a thing anymore, but Harlequin romance type books or you know, romance movies. And it gives us this false impression of what love is. Apparently it's like you got to have like some cooking with some cookies, a snowball fight, and there it is. <laughs> right? 
No, that love is far more of a choice than it is an emotion. And we need to teach our children that. You can love anybody. Absolutely anybody, because it's a choice. But the world has given this false impression of what love is supposed to be, and then we get married, and guess what? There may be cookies, but you don't care. The snowball fights, they're not very kind. Got a little different intent behind that snowball. Right? It's not that princess story that the world told you it was supposed to be. And then you go and you find it and you go, what, what's wrong? You know, I, I got a bad one, right? No, you choose. Are you submitting to him even though he's a jerk? Are you loving her even though she's not submitting? It's your choice. And maybe if you both do that, it'll work out. Another thing I want you to see is that in our churches today, we've even become anti-family in churches. We've been talking about this this morning. We were gathered around just talking about Christian schools. Is that even supposed to be a thing? Now, I'm not against Christian schools, but in some way, it leads to less family. It goes against, because if there's a Christian school or a home school, I'm telling you, home school will beat it every time. Every single time. In our churches, not only do we program, you know, give an out for the responsibility of parents in that way, but we also give then an out so that most times in many churches you will see kids sitting all together rather than with their families. And they're writing notes back in the church pews. I remember at a church that I used to attend finding some of the notes they wrote, and I couldn't, it's like, whoa. They shouldn't have written that note in church, let alone out of church, or vice versa. We need to worship together as a family. That means you guys have to protect the family unit, even from the church sometimes. Say, no, you are not going to go sit with your friends at church. No, you're not going to this lock-in. No, you're not going to do this. No, you're not going to do that, whatever the case might be. Now, again... I'm not saying churches can't have youth groups and lock-ins and whatever. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you have to protect your family from different circumstances that can be out there. Because maybe your kids are constantly doing things and where's their family time? Have you had time to, to teach them yourself this week? Or are they so busy running? You know, if I would give you a notepad and a piece of paper there, a pencil, and, and said, I want you to write down the answer to these questions. What does the Bible say about raising children? Could you answer that question? What does the Bible say about discipline? What's the Bible say about education? What does the Bible say about these things? Because if you can't answer those questions, then answer this question. Why did you have kids? Whose methods did you use in training your children? The Bible's methods? Your grandparents' methods? Your mom and dad's methods? Dr. Dobson's methods? The wrong methods? How do you know? 
If you don't know the Word of God and what it says about these things, then maybe you should be in the Word a little bit more. Again, maybe you're offended by this. But I'm telling you, this is exactly what God's Word says. And we're going to talk about it, and I'm going to really step on some toes here. I don't know. All I know is this, is our first priority is to use God's Word as a standard for, for everything that we do. And that means education. It means entertainment. It means family, what you do as a family, where you go on vacation, everything. Deuteronomy 6, 5-7 through 7 says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. In other words, all day long. 100% of the time, 100% of what you do, your goal must be to train your children in godly things. Yes, it means you need to have family devotions. Yes, it means you need to have family prayer. But it also means... Like I said before, when you go to the zoo and you see the animal eating meat, you say, we didn't always eat meat. Here's what Scripture says, why and when you were able to eat meat. Or, when you see billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth in the fossil record, you don't just say, oh, cool, I found a fossil. You say, how did that fossil get there? Okay? And then you get an opportunity to talk about Noah's flood and judgment upon a sinful world. In our Sunday school curriculums and in our bookshelves, we've got all kinds of books that will teach you about Noah and the Ark. But what's the story about? Do your kids go to bed at night thinking, no, oh, that was a great story? Probably, right? Wow. Guys, this isn't a story that's supposed to be this princess fairy tale. This is a story upon judgment of sin in the world. But you see, in the church we've turned everything to feel good. Noah's flood, that story, ought to shake your kids to their foundation. They ought to go, wow, sin is serious. Or when you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off, you don't let those little creative words come flying out of your mouth. I'll tell you what, as a teacher, I knew almost every parent without even having a parent-teacher's conference. Because your kids want to be just like you. I'd hear teachers come in and they'd say, boy, that little Johnny, he's got a temper like his father. How did they know? Well, because they saw the father reacting in the car lane or whatever the case might be. They were watching their, their father. I'm telling you, your kids are watching you. And you older brothers and sisters here, Roland, okay, Landon, David, I, listen, I'm telling you right now, your brothers that are younger, your sisters that are younger, Ben, they're watching you. They're watching you. Joel and Jack. Your younger brothers are watching you. Maybe even that younger sister. <laughs> They're watching. And I'm telling you, they want to be just like you. 
I was a weird kid, never really grew out of it. <laughs> I would go, I remember at the high school, public school basketball games, I would go to the concession stands and I'd order my Reese's Pieces. I'd squint. I'd stand there for a little bit and squint. I knew exactly what I wanted. I didn't care. I just needed time to squint. Order my Reese's piece of squinting. Why? Because my brother, who could dunk a basketball senior year of high school, he was a stud, starting five, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, he needed glasses. He squinted. I wanted to be just like him. Let me tell you something. If they see Jesus in you, you're going to see Jesus in them. But if they don't see Jesus in you, there's a chance that you won't see Jesus in them. One of the greatest benefits of homeschooling was to see my kids learn from each other. And grow up to love the Lord. And I know that some of my failures were overcome by my children showing Christ when I wasn't able to. And so, you guys have a responsibility. Yes, I know you're not mom and dad yet, but you kids, you need to be an example for your younger siblings. Because they're watching you. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. This was something I was convicted of years and years ago. My wife came back at a bad time. I'm going to throw her under the bus just a little bit here. <laughs> you know, when I was growing up, or when I was, our kids were growing up, for years and years... I said, if we're going to have a book on the shelf, I want it to be a Christian book. If we're going to have a movie on the shelf, VHS at the time, it's going to be a Christian VHS. If we get in the car and the radio's on, it's going to be Christian radio. If we come in the house and my kids see art on the wall, it's going to be something that's going to remind them of God because 100% of the time and 100% of what we do, our goal must be to teach our children about godly things. When they get up, when they lie down, when they go for a walk, it doesn't matter. I want them to have an excuse to think about God. So I did that for a lot of years, but then I got tired of the fight for a little bit. And I gave in on music. Now, granted, they couldn't listen to ACDC, you know, and those kinds of things, but just harmless secular music. And I still, to this day, regret doing that. But I got tired. I got tired of the fight. That's just one of many of my failures. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't get tired. Another thing is, is quality time. Brooke Adams, son of Charles Adams. Do you know that he was an ambassador to England when he was 12 years old? 
First of all, can you imagine us sending a 12-year-old to be an ambassador to England today? We can't even send our president there. It's amazing. What I love about this, though, is, you know, he wrote in his diary, the father, went fishing today with my son, a wasted day. I wonder why this is affecting me. <laughs> Same day, journal entry for Brooke Adams. Went fishing today with my son, or my dad. The most glorious day of my life. What you do with your kids, what you've been doing this week, it's not just about you. About spending quality time with your kids, training them in the Word of God. They will remember this. Tara and I were talking about that. Y your kids are going to remember this week. That's why we do this. Not just to have fun and, you know, but we want to make this fun for your kids. We want them to remember that this is about Jesus. We want them to remember. I think they will talk about this for till the day they die. They'll remember it. If they see Christ in you, they are going to have Christ in them. We need to make God all in all in our life. But we have a tendency to prioritize. And we say, God is number one in my life. And number two is my family. My third is my job. Maybe, maybe I'll go church is number three, and then number four is my job. No, guys. God is everything in your church life. He is everything in your uh, family life. He's everything in your job. He's e everything in everything you do, even your entertainment. Is he? Probably not. I know he hasn't been in mine all the time, in my especially entertainment. I love to just turn my head off, turn my brain off, and watch something on TV. God should be all in all. Going back to that verse, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not turn from it. That word train literally means give no option. Don't give your children an option Brainwash your children. Yep. It's okay. Brainwashing's a good thing when it's the Holy Spirit doing it. Brainwash. You see, everybody here is being brainwashed, whether it be by the world and the media and the government or by church, the Bible, devotions. Everybody. It's just a matter of who's doing the brainwashing. The Word of God or the government. It's like vegetables. Do you give your children an option of whether they want to eat vegetables or not? We didn't. Okay, There might be certain ones we let them get away with, but no. We're not going to let you eat ho-hos and ding-dongs all day long. You have to eat healthy. Why? Because we want you to be healthy. 
We gave them no option. Isn't it funny how we don't give our kids an option of whether or not they're going to eat their vegetables, but we give them an option or not whether or not they're going to go to church, whether they're going to come to Bible study, whether or not they're going to a Christian school versus a public school. As a principal of the school, I would see time and time parents coming in and telling me, we're going to give little Johnny a, a choice this year of where he's going to go, and, and he decided to go to the public school. It's like, shocker! You didn't see that one coming? No, that was just passing the buck on to them, putting the blame on them, is what that really was. But let me tell you something. Children are not to have those kind of choices. And children aren't going to make their decisions based on godly things. We'll come back to that, but the Bible says this in, in Matthew 5.13, You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out to be trampled by men. You're to be salt of the earth. Okay? And here it says, Mark 9.50, Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Guys, you have to be salt to be able to give salt to your kids. Yeah. If you don't know the Bible, how do you expect your kids to know the Bible? We found out our kids are like little salt shakers, salt vessels, empty vessels that our job is to pour in biblical truth, the salt, as much as possible, keep pouring it in and pouring it into their lives. I remember when Noah was in the womb, I would sing every day to the womb, Jesus loves me. Every day. I, I hardly missed a day, I'll bet. Every night before bed, sometimes in the day, whatever. And you know, he came out kicking and screaming, never stopped, except for just a little bit when I said, Jesus loves me, and he stopped crying. I'll tell you something, there is a power in the Word of God that I cannot teach, I cannot explain, I do not understand, but I believe. There is a word, the Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, the, the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword, sharp enough to penetrate between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. There's a power there, so much so that even an infant in the womb is affected by it. I think that pregnant women should be reading the Bible to the, to the baby. You go, they don't understand. They don't have to understand. There's a power in it. I don't get it. John the Baptist, when he was in the presence of Jesus, leapt in the womb. There are things in this world, folks, you will not understand, but the Bible says it's true. That's why when I did devotions with my family and I'd read a chapter, I didn't care if they got all of it or if they were interested in all of it. I was going to give them the word. Not just a devotion, the Word. There's a power I cannot explain. Another thing I want you to understand is the Bible says this in Psalm 51.5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Noah, when he was born, he wasn't cute. He was a viper in a diaper. Hey, I... I, came, I brought him home, and I thought, what did we do? I said that in not such polite ways. 
we found out the Bible's right. We always have this idea in society, oh, that beautiful little, you know, innocent little baby. No, viper in a diaper. <laughs> We're sinful creatures. Not just from birth, but from the moment of conception. First of all, uh, we don't need to talk about abortion here then, do we? At this point. When are you a child? Conception. From the moment of conception, God knew you. There are people that are oftentimes offended with me saying that children aren't these innocent, perfect little creatures. And then they have kids and they find out, oh, he was right. You don't have to teach your children to be selfish, do you? It comes pretty naturally. All of us, adults as well, have to work on that. We can be selfish. We can be greedy. No, you have to teach your children to share. You have to teach them to do what is right. Train your children. Train yourself. Be salt. Have salt in yourselves as well. Be in that word. And it's because of this bias against God that we discovered that our children have holes in them. Those little salt vessels that we thought, oh, pour it in, it'll stay. It doesn't. It pours right out their feet. You know what that means? Your job just got ten times harder. Because you have to go over it and 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 over it again. Today I see kids go to church. They go home. Not a word about what the sermon was about. Ask them that evening, what was the sermon about? Test it to see if this is true. See if what goes in goes right out. If they can't tell you, maybe you need to be talking about it on the way home. I'll tell you something. All it takes is you guys to start talking about this on the way home or whatever. To, to take a mental note to train your children and say, boy, wasn't that good when he talked about this? What do you think about that? You know, uh, that verse here, let's look at that. You talk about this a little bit, and then that's going over it and over it so that some of it, some of it's going to stick. Just a little, but some of it's going to stick. Instead, you know what we see happening? Kids are watching TV and they're watching TV and they're watching TV. What do they remember? What's on TV? Time and time again as a principal of school, I'd see kids that knew everything about their favorite sports team but couldn't name the 66 books of the Bible. What was wrong? Well, where your heart is, that's where your God is. Daniel Joseph was talking about that here just you know, a couple weeks back. If you don't have a heart to follow the Lord, then maybe He's not your God. Maybe your God is something else in this world. Maybe it is sports. Maybe it's hunting. Maybe it's work. I don't know what it is. But where your heart is, that'll tell you where your God is. Another thing, 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. Boy, how true this was. I couldn't tell you how many times I saw, I'd have a class of 25 kids, wonderful kids, all of a sudden a bad apple comes in, and now five, six, seven of those kids that were not getting anything in trouble before are now doing all kinds of things they shouldn't have been doing. 
because bad company corrupts good character. It's a biblical fact. And yet somehow we think, oh, but my kids will be immune to that. I got news for you. Most adults aren't even immune to that. I remember when I went to college at Minot State University, we had these little suites so that I had a suite, I had three suite mates. I didn't cuss, I didn't swear. But all of a sudden, these, they, they swore all the time, every conversation. It was just, you know, that's the part of their life. I remember coming and having a conversation, out came a bad word. And it's, it's almost like I felt like oh, I tried to catch the thing. and It's like, where did that come from? Because bad company corrupts good character. Most adults even can't be around that stuff without being affected by it. Just, it's the way it is. It's true. And so, that means you need to protect your children from this world. We have to go against the flow. We have to be separate. The Bible says there's a broad way and a narrow way. Narrow is the way to eternal life. If you're doing everything that everybody else is doing, chances are you're on the wrong road. You know, obedience is important. I know I'm talking to a group who understands this. There's a phrase that I like. It says this, God will always take responsibility for the consequences of our obedience. I've known godly parents, and for whatever reason, a kid might go off and not follow the Lord or whatever. I don't know why. But I know this, that God's going to take responsibility for the consequence of your obedience and training your children in the way they should go. But let me ask you this. Who's going to take responsibility for the consequences of your disobedience? Not God. Not God. Children are not to be little adults. Like I said, they're not supposed to have these kind of choices in the world, whether they choose to go to church or whether they choose to go to a Christian or a public school or whether they choose to be homeschooled or go back into the, the, the Christian school or public school or whatever. They're not supposed, that's not their choice. Never should be. Because, like I said, they don't make their children or their choices based on the right things. We see in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Like I said, when those children would say, oh, I'm going to go to the public school this year, it was always because I don't like the teacher or I like the teacher over in the public school or most often because they had the sports team that I wanted to be on or at a time they had more computers or, or whatever. Never was it, oh, I think that I'm going to grow in the Lord by going to the public school. That wasn't, and by the way, never did they. Not once in all of the kids that I have seen have I ever seen a kid go to a, Christ, or a public school and come out stronger in the Lord. Not once. I've seen kids go to Christian schools and come out for the worse because not a good Christian school. 
because there are bad influences, bad apples that even get into those Christian schools as well. You have to protect them because I'm telling you, the world is out there. And you say, yeah, but they need to be salt of the earth too. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Ephesians 4.14 says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. There is a time when you're, you're going to grow up. You're no longer going to be an infant. How do you know if you're an infant? Well, they are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Maybe homosexuality is okay. Maybe evolution is a little bit okay. Maybe just millions of years. Let me tell you, it's not going to be this like wall, like, oh man, you know, the devil is who I'm going to follow. It's going to be subtle. It's going to be, well, I love God, but I don't think I really need to go to church. Or I don't really need to read my Bible. And then it's going to be, well, you know, I know that he's a homosexual, but he's a really good friend, and so I'm going to try and be his friend to witness to him. Just little steps. Here's our children out there being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, and they've got all these choices to make. How are they going to make that choice unless they've been trained in the Word of God with a solid foundation of God's Word? Because I'm telling you something, there are only two foundations, one built on God's, word and creation and one built on the secular world of humanism and evolution if creationism is your foundation god's word you're going to see the fossils that those things are a result of noah's flood plants and animals they were you know the plants were created on the third day of creation we, we see that the animals, the, like the, the fifth and sixth day of creation you're going to see the earth was created because of you for you and there aren't life on other planets that are out there because God only created earth to be inhabited as he said in Isaiah. You're going to see that there is no such thing as races of people. There's different colors of people. We're all the same race. You all come from Adam. There's a, there isn't going to be racism and those kind of things. But if the Word of God is not the foundation and you have evolution there instead, then what you're going to do is you're going to see the fossils or in the plants and all these things kind of lead up to you, and that there are different races of people and all these different kind of things. You know, people always tell me that, well, I, I'm going to send my child over here to even maybe a Christian school that isn't teaching, you know, a solid biblical truth on creation. And, and when they come home, I'm going to combat that. When they get to chapter 12, when they're teaching evolution in school, I'll address it. I got news for you folks, it's not chapter 12. It is chapters 1 through 25. It is the very foundation, not only of science, but of history. It's going to be in their math, it's going to be in their English, it's going to be in every subject. And if you don't think it is, then you are naive and ignorant. Go get their books. You may not even see it in there. Go listen to their teachers. Now, listen, to, listen to some of these people today talking about what's going on in public schools. You may not even know. Do you know the school board may not even know about it? Because the unions have power. If there's a teacher in a union today, you need to get out. 
because you're funding them and they're the ones that are pushing all of this sex education stuff that I know you guys know this but I couldn't even talk about it couldn't show you a picture you know many people out there they can't even show you what a kindergarten textbook looks like because it would get them fired kindergarten and that's going on right now. We've got people where the parents are, are, the kids are being taken away from the parents because they won't allow them to go through a transgender process. And, and this isn't just a rare thing. It's actually been quite common in some states like Florida and others, California. And many times the school board knows nothing about it, but it's one teacher that is teaching and promoting these kinds of things. It is not chapter 12 and it is not just science. It is the very foundation of everything that is being taught. You know, this is why you cannot add God to a secular philosophy. When I was a principal, I worked hard to get Christian textbooks into the school because it was a Christian school using secular textbooks. You can't do that. But it's quite common. You just cannot do it. You, you see, people say that, you know, I don't want you to impose Christianity on my child. Well, I don't want to impose it on them either. I want to build it foundationally from the foundation up. Because people would always ask me, do you teach evolution? And I say, yes, I do. I actually do teach evolution. I teach that it's wrong, but I want my child to know more about evolution than the evolutionists know about evolution. Because they need to know... When my child meets an evolutionary trained child, they need to be able to say, oh, but I know why he thinks the way he does, and attack the foundation and go from there. But the problem is, is we have found out that these children that we've been pouring in salt into, they're supposed to grow up so that as mature Christians, they're able to dish that stuff out, challenge the world. Christians are going to love it. Non-Christians are going to be challenged by it. But instead, because we've been filling our children with contaminated salt with the secular world, theology, the, the liberal theology, they're growing up and now as adults, they're dishing this stuff out and it's the Christians that are choking on it and the non-Christians that aren't even bothered by it, maybe even rejoicing in it. Because we have tried to add God to a secular philosophy. You cannot do it. We have become like toads in warm water. I'm sure you've heard that if you take a toad and you stick it in the water, take it out of its water, put it in hot water, it jumps out. You take that toad, keep it in the water, stick it on a stove, slowly turn up the heat, it'll cook and boil itself to death. It adjusts to the temperature slowly. This is what we've done in the church, in America. I'm told that Playboy magazine... Do you know what that used to be? Women in bras. And at the time, anybody who looked at that, oh my goodness, what a terrible word. That guy, stay away from him. And then pretty soon, the bras came off. Oh my goodness, what a terrible world. And then, everything's off. Oh my goodness, what a terrible world. And then, we see on TV, naked butts. Oh, or first, bras. Oh my goodness. Then you get adjusted to the temperature. And then you see naked butts. Oh my goodness, and now the things that you can get by plugging in the TV or, or just watching a commercial today is unspeakable, an abomination and sin. As I said, the LGBSIN groups out there, 
you cannot watch a program without that being shown. But like toads in warm water, we continually adjust to that temperature. And then we go, well, it's okay, but you know. One of my favorite movies, I say this all the time, Time Changer. Christian film, I love it because basically this guy makes a time machine, he comes from the church, he says that you can teach morality without Jesus. He comes ahead to the 2010 or something like that, and the church group is going out to a movie. And he comes running out saying, stop the film, stop the film, they're taking the name of the Lord in vain on the, on the screen. And the guy behind him is like, what, what is wrong with you, dude? The church group comes out and says, oh, it's an awesome movie. He said, but didn't you hear? Oh, but they only said it once or twice. I say, you know, we're going to have some brownies up here for the charcuterie table. Now, I just want to let you know, one of them, the dog happened to just kind of got pooped on a little bit, just on top. We scraped it off. So there's just a little bit of poop on there, not much. But I'm, I mean, most of the brownies, 99.9% .9 of the brownies, good stuff. Okay? You excited for the brownies? I hope nobody brought brownies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You see, just a little bit ruins the whole thing. But we've adjusted to the temperature to where we can watch a movie and see the name of God blasphemed, and it's no big deal. Well, we're just going to ignore that part. We're not going to be outraged by it. And let me tell you, I'm just as guilty as any of you. People say, Brian, when our kids were younger, people would say, Brian, you are going to isolate your kids. You're going to isolate them. You know what I tell them? Thank you. That's one of the biggest compliments I could get as a father because some, I'll tell you something. You're going to either isolate them from God's word, prayer, devotions, or whatever, or you can isolate them from, you know, homosexuality, pornography, evolution, secular humanism, you know, all of those things. Everybody isolates their kid. It just depends on what you choose to isolate them from. Isolate your kids. I've said it many times that the closest you could be to the Garden of Eden was to not know evil. Keep your kids from knowing as much as possible, as long as possible. You know, going back here in Ephesians, it says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which, you can, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. The devil is out there, and let me tell you, he's not only throwing those arrows at you, he's throwing them at your kids. He is throwing them at your kids. I prefer the word here rather than isolate, insulate. Our job is to insulate our kids as much as possible because here's the devil throwing that out there. Do you want to know if your child is ready to go to a public school? Do you want to know if they're ready to even go to a Christian school? You need to see how well they can use their armor. Those medieval knights, you know, they, if somebody wanted to fight for the king, they didn't just say, all right, let's see, what size are you? Large, all right, here you go, there you go, go get in line over there and now go fight for the king. They took years to train in the armor because it was awkward. They didn't know how to use it. 
You send them out there, they'd have been wiped out like that. Today, we're taking the armor of God, throwing it at our kids and saying, go fight for the king. And in one generation, it's gone. You want to know if they can use their armor? Ask them. Somebody comes up to you and says, they say that you're homosexual. What do you say? Can they pull out the sword of truth? Can they use it? If they can't use it, they're not ready. Uh, ask them. Somebody says, hey, do you want to go to this movie? No, I'm not going to go. Why? Can they pull out the sword of truth? If they can't use it, they're not ready. Test them to see if they can use the armor of God. Psalm 127 says, Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from Him. Children are a gift that God has given us on borrowed time to train for eternal life. I want you to look at this picture here. Here's that gift of God that He's given you. He's given you money. He's given you a home. He's given you a car for your entertainment, a TV for your entertainment. He's given you, you know, your bank account, your boats for your entertainment, your child. Of all these things that are so important to us that we spend all of our time, all of our energy into working for, which one of these is going to last forever? Only one. That child is going to live forever and ever 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 in heaven or hell. No in between. Boy, that makes vegetables seem insignificant, doesn't it? What you do to train your children is going to affect millions. Your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and so on. Philippians 3 says, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. It's not the sports program. It's not how many computers. It's not what the teachers like. It's whether God is being taught and lifted up as supreme where they're getting their education. Second Timothy says, But as for you, continue what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. A lot of times when I do this at churches, I want to say, listen, maybe you're a grandparent here and you're thinking, well, hey, you know, hey my kids are gone. Too late for me. Uh-uh. Timothy, where did he learn it from? Grandmother, Grandma Lois. It is never too late. And I say all the time as well that I wish I'd have spent more time with my grandma and grandpa. But I learned more from them after they died than I ever did when they were alive. Because I was too young and immature and too much of a punk at that time to care when they were alive. But the way they lived their life, the things that they did, how what, that's what I learned. I will still never forget watching my grandfather stand as a hailstorm came and wiped out during harvest his entire wheat field. 3,000 acres of wheat gone. And he stood there at the window, quietly, watching the hail. And he said, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Let's go do some fencing. 
That has spoke to me for years after his death. Didn't mean much to me at the time. Frankly, I didn't even know the, the, the depth of what had happened to him there. Honestly, I think of Johnny here. He's kind of a pyro, apparently. <laughs> I wouldn't be here if I was him. He was combining and his combine started on fire. He burned up combine just the other day. And yet, he's here. Those are the kind of things that speak to me. It should speak to your children, to you. What you do, it's not going to just affect your kids. It's going to affect all those around you, those you know. You see, the Bible says to glory in one thing. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness in the land. For these, I del in these I delight, declares the Lord. I'll tell you what, it isn't if your child is great in sports, you know, that he's on the starting five in the basketball team or, or that he's so great with computers or, or that he's on TikTok and well-known. I could care less about any of those things if they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's success right there. Look at this picture one more time out of all these things. Let me ask you this question. Which one can you take with you? Only one. You might have to wait for him. You might, you know, go on and, and, and they may go ahead of you and they may have to wait for you. But only one of these is going to last forever and ever and ever. And you can only take one. Everything else is going to burn. And yet, we spend so much time in our work so that we can make sure that we can get enough money to buy this boat or this new car or a house or, or whatever. All we, we, so concerned about things that are going to burn. But yet, when it comes to our time, what's most important are our children and grandchildren. What are you proud of in your kids? That they're rich, that they're doctors, that they're famous, that... They love the Lord. I'd rather my child be a poor, unknown, you know, lover and disciple of Jesus Christ than to be rich and famous and have all kinds of whatever in this world, skills. I'm going to leave you with a couple of quotes here. This one here is from John Dunphy. He's an atheist. And this is nothing. Years ago, this used to be shocking. This is pretty tame nowadays. But he says, I'm convinced that the battle for humankind's future must be waged and won in the public school classroom by teachers who correctly perceive their role as the proselytizers of a new faith. A religion of humanity that recognizes and respects the spark of what theologians call divinity in every human being. These teachers must embody the same selfless dedication as the most rabid fundamentalist preachers, for they will be ministers of another sort, utilizing a classroom instead of a pulpit to convey humanist values in whatever subject they teach, regardless of the educational level, preschool, daycare, or large state university. 
The classroom must and will become an arena of conflict between the old and the new. The rotting corpse of Christianity, together with all its adjacent evils and misery, and the new faith of humanism. And now look where we are today. Because we didn't take his warning seriously. Look at this here, Ken Miller, Brown University. He says, a presumption of atheism or agnosticism is universal in academic life. Universal. The conventions of academic life almost universally revolve around the assumption that religious belief is something that people grow out of as they become educated. Hmm. Richard Dawkins, author of The God Delusion, said, when one person suffers from a delusion, it's called insanity. When many people suffer from a delusion, it's called religion. Sounds to me like evolution's a religion. If this book works as intended, religious readers who open it will be atheists by the time they put it down. Richard Rorty, Wesley in, uh, in Princeton before. Parents who send their children to college should recognize that as professors, we are going to go right on trying to discredit you in the eyes of your children, trying to strip your fundamentalist religious community of dignity, trying to make your views seem silly rather than discussable. We, professors, arrange things so that students who enter as bigoted, homophobic, religious fundamentalists will leave college with views more like our own. Students are for fortunate to find themselves under the control of people like me and to have escaped the grip of their frightening, vicious, dangerous parents. Yeah. I want you to know one more thing here. You can protect and isolate your kids all you want, and we do everything we can to protect them from the world and then somehow this world has gotten us to pay to throw it all away by us sending them off to some dumb university. Steven Weinberg, MIT, Harvard, University of Texas. Says, I personally feel that the teaching of modern science is corrosive of religious belief, and I'm all for that. If scientists can destroy the influence of religion on young people, then I think it may be the most important contribution that we can make. Miriam Cook, Duke, Islamic feminists are declaring that yes, Islam is the ideal just, just society. Islamic feminists confront any who threaten their Islamic or local community, whether they be organizations or individual men or Christian, Jewish, or secular women. James Tabor, James says he's the chairman of religious studies at the University of North Carolina. His book challenges the beliefs that Christians hold dear, maintaining that Jesus is neither the son of God nor the son of Joseph, but most likely the child of a Roman soldier named Pantera. I mean, I could go on and on and on. You know what just amazes me? Vody Bauckham used to say this, and it's so true. It's amazing that we send our children off to, be, you know, off to uh, Caesar to be trained, and then we're shocked when they come back as Romans. I'll tell you what, these universities are scary. I have seen many people go to Hastings College that came to our Bible study who now, really, I don't even know if they follow the Lord and, those that, and if they do, it is so liberal and progressive and wrong that I, I, I couldn't even call them a Christian. You need to be praying against that. 
Well, look, look what Martin Luther said here as we close out. I'd advise no one to send his child where the Holy Scriptures are not supreme. Every institution that does not unceasingly pursue the study of God's Word becomes corrupt. Because of this, we can see what kind of people they become in the universities and what they are like now. Nobody's to blame for this except the Pope, the Bishop, the Prelates, and all who are charged with training young people. I'll add to that basically parents. The universities only ought to turn out men who are experts in the Holy Scriptures. Men who can become bishops and priests and stand in the front line against heretics, the devil, and all the world. But where do you find that? I greatly fear that the universities, unless they teach the Holy Scriptures diligently and impress them on the young students, are wide gates to hell. Let me ask you, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, how many started out as Christian universities? Every single one of them. How many are today? None of them. Why? Because like toads in warm water, they compromise. And this is what's happened in our society. And this is why you got to stop. You got to stop. We need to pull. We need to run away. And we need to train our children the way they, that they should go. I went to public school all my life outside of two years of uh, college. All my life. I'm not saying that God can't rescue and keep you out, but I'll tell you this. I was affected by that. I would give anything to be able to go back in time and not go to public school, not hear the things that I heard, not be exposed to the things that I was exposed to, not grow up in a culture that created my thinking the way it was for so many years. And I grew up in a very conservative, Bible-believing, Bible-obeying home. You cannot not be affected by it. It's impossible. As I said here, Dinesh D'Souza said this, children spend the majority of their waking hours in school. Parents invest a good portion of their life savings in college education and entrust their offspring to people who are supposed to educate them. Isn't it wonderful that educators have figured out a way to make parents the instruments of their own undoing? Isn't it brilliant that they have persuaded Christian moms and dads to finance the destruction of their own beliefs and values? Who said atheists weren't clever? Yeah, it says it a lot. Last slide. Max Jukes, he was an atheist. He lived a, he lived a godless life. He married an ungodly woman. From this union, he had 310 descendants who died as paupers, 150 that were criminals, seven that were murderers, 100 that were drunkards, more than half of the women were prostitutes. His 540 descendants cost the state one and a quarter million dollars before inflation. You contrast that to a great man named Jonathan Edwards, a godly man. He lived at the same time that Max Jukes did. But he married a godly woman. An investigation of these lives showed that he had 1,394 known descendants. 
13 became college presidents, 65 college professors, 3 United States senators, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 75 army and navy officers, 100 preachers and missionaries, 60 authors of prominence, 1 vice president of the United States, 80 public officers and other capacities, 295 college graduates, among whom were governors of states and ministers to foreign countries. His descendants didn't cost the state a penny. Can you see a blessed life when we follow God's ways instead? I'm not going to be naive and put this all on public school, say you send your kids to a public school, you've lost your kids. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this, it is not wise, and if it is your only choice, then you have a lot of work to do to combat what goes on. Because you know what? If you add up the hours that they're at school compared to the hours that you have, it is nothing. That means you need to spend almost every hour you have with them training and teaching them the Word of God. Go do the math. See how many hours you have versus how much the world has with them. Got to think about it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you... Convict us where the convictions need to be. Encourage us where the encouragement needs to be. Give us hope where there needs to be hope. Forgiveness if there needs to be forgiveness. And joy where there needs to be joy. Lord, I know that we can look back, but we don't need to look back. We look ahead. And so help us to do that. That what we do now as we move forward is going to affect our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our great-great-great-grandchildren. So empower us and, and be with our children, protect them. Because we also know, Lord, that it doesn't all depend on us, that we need you to watch out, to protect, to train, to encourage, and to instruct our children as well. But you've given us a responsibility. Let us not shirk that. In Jesus' name, amen.